This is KMTT and the weekly Parshat HaShavua Shir. This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Chanoch Vaxman. This week, Parshat Vaira, I would like to discuss the speech by God, God's speech, which opens the Parsha. Shmod Perek Vav, Pasuk Bet, tells us as follows. Uh, and God spoke to Moshe, and then begins the speech. And he said, I am Hashem. God continues on. And I appeared to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov by the name of Kel Shakai. But this name, Hashem, was not known to them. And then God continues on, And I also established my covenant with them, give them the land of Canaan, etc. In the next Pasuk, Pasuk Hey, God says, I've also heard the cries and the oppression of the Jewish people, the Bnei Yisrael, that Egypt has enslaved them. And God continues on uh, to give Moshe his marching orders, and to inform Moshe as to what he should inform the Bnei Yisrael of, which brings us to the centerpiece of his speech here. Perak Vav, Pasuk Vav, says as follows, Therefore say to Bnei Yisrael, Ani Hashem, And I will take you out from underneath the burdens of Egypt. I will save you, from their labors. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, etc. And finally, in Pasuk Zayin, And I will take you to me for a people. Of course, this speech contains uh, what are famously known as the Arba Lishanot of Geula, the four languages of redemption. And here at the center piece of the speech, we find these phrases, V'hotseti, V'itzalti, V'ga'alti, V'lakachti, this declaration of God's intention to redeem the Jewish people. And on some level, the speech is about this declaration of intention by God, uh, where He will now redeem the Jewish people. Now, while this is primarily correct, and certainly I would like to talk about this notion of declaration of intention by God at this point in the Sefer, I would like to begin uh, the Shi'or by focusing on a slightly smaller, more technical detail, um, yet at the same time one that is quite well known. Let us revert uh, for the moment to uh, Pasuk Gimel, uh, near the beginning of God's speech, where God says as follows in Perak Bet Pasuk Gimel, Va'ira el Avraham and I appeared to Avraham Yitzchak by the name of Kel Shakai. Ushmi Hashem lo Now, translating simply, but my name Hashem, the four-lettered name, what is known in the technical language as the Tetragrammaton, Hashem Havaya, as we sometimes say in Hebrew, lo nodati lahem, lo nodati seems to mean Lonodati was not made known to them. Um, I did not, they did not know it, is the simple interpretation. And this, to some extent, is the way both Unculus, Tirgum Unculus, and Rashbam interpret the term Lonodati Lehem, that God appeared to the forefathers by the name of Kel Shakai, but the name Havaya, Shem Hashem, was not known to the forefathers. Now, of course, the problem, the famous problem is, is that even a, a cursory look at Sefer Breshit, going back to Sefer Breshit, would indicate to us uh, that this apparently is not so at all. That indeed the forefathers certainly knew, definitely knew, 
um, the name Havaya, the Shem Hashem. And I have in mind, just very briefly, to take a look at Perak Yud Bet, um, back in Sefer Breshit, when Avraham first comes to Eretz Yisrael, the kind of the beginning of the narrative of, of the forefathers, and we're told in Perak Yud Bet, Pasuk Zayin, just for example, uh, upon Avraham's arrival in the land of Israel, Ve'ira Hashem al-Avraham, God appeared to Avraham and he said, to your children, your descendants, I will give this land. Avraham builds a mizbeach to the Hashem who has appeared to him. So apparently Hashem has appeared to Avraham. Avraham relates to Hashem as Hashem and apparently he knows the name of Hashem. That's what one would think. And if we take a little bit later on in the same segment of the Torah, Avraham moves to another place between Beit El and Ai. He builds there a mizbeach and we're told in Parakibet, Pasukhet, Vayiven Shem Mizbeach Lashem, he built an altar to Hashem. Vayikrab Hashem Hashem, and he called out in the name of Hashem. So here, Avram built a Mizbeach to Hashem, he calls out in the name of Hashem, and so God appears to him, he builds a Mizbeach in the name of Hashem, Hashem appears to him, in the name of Hashem. Um, he builds a Mizbeach in the name of Hashem. He calls out in the name of Hashem. And apparently, the simple interpretation of the Pesukim in Breshit is that Avram and, by implication, the other forefathers as well, do know the four-lettered name, do know Shem Havaya. And if so, of course, the, the technical and famous problem is what to do about the contradiction between Sefer Breshit and Sefer Shemot. What to do about the contradiction between Sefer Breshit and God's claim here in Sefer Shemot, in Perak Vav, Pasuk Gimel, in his address to Moshe. On the one hand, according to Sefer Breshit, the forefathers do know the Shem Havaya, the four-letter name. And according to Sefer Shemot, and here apparently according to God himself, in his speech to Moshe at the beginning of Pashat Vaira, the forefathers lo no dati lahem. They do not know or did not know uh, the Shem Havaya. Now, there are different solutions to this problem. But I would primarily like to pursue in this shiur today the classic solution adopted more or less by both Rashi and Ibn Ezra in different guises. And I think this solution has something to teach us not just about knowledge or knowing on the one hand, but also about the entire speech of God, uh, the whole uh, address here, the whole uh, the whole transmission of the notion of Gula, God's declaration that he will redeem the Jewish people on some of what it's all about. So I think it is of great importance, not just a solution to a problem, not just as teaching something about knowledge and knowing, but also in terms of what it indicates to us about God's declaration of redemption here at the beginning of Prashant Va'ira. So let us begin with the comment of Rashi uh, on our parsha on Paragvav Pasuk Gimel. And Rashi says as follows, um, Bakel Shakai, Hiftachtim Haftachot, I made them promises, reference to the Brit. I made them promises, Bukulan Amarti Lahem Anikel Shakai. And in these various promises, God says, I use the name, I use the language of Kel Shakai. And Rashi goes on, Bishmi Hashem Lo Nadati Lahem, Lo Hodati in Ketiv Khan. It does not write here, Lo Hodati. Hodati meaning to make known. It's not that I did not make it known. Elalo no dati. But rather it was not known. The kind of passive tense. Not so much the hodati to make it known, but the no dati that to be was known. And Rashi goes on. Lo nikarti lahem b'midat amitut shali. I was not recognized or known to them by my true essential attribute. She'ala nikrash mi Hashem. 
uh, who, by virtue of which my name is called Hashem, meaning Ne'eman La'amet Dvarai, believed to make true my words, to keep my promises. Because I made them promises and yet I have not kept them. Rashi claims here that on some level we should be midayek, we should infer from the usage of the term lo no dati as opposed to lo hodati. Hodati would be to actually tell of the name itself. And that would not be correct because, of course, the forefathers did know of the name. What does no dati mean? No dati uh, means was known, to know for real, to know the kind of inner or essential side of what the name is all about. And Rashi points out that in the past, God had made promises. Uh, he had made many promises in the various britot outlined in uh, Sefer Brishit. Um, the promise to uh, raise up the nation to be a great nation, to bring them to the land. Yet God had not yet kept his promises. Um, while the promises were made in the name of Kel Shakai, the promises are kept or brought out to be true or found to be true in the name of Hashem. What the idea of Hashem represents, the name represents Ne'eman L'Kaim Haftachot. Uh, to be believed, to accomplish or to keep one's promises. And therefore, although the forefathers might have known of the name of Hashem, they did not know the essence. It wasn't really known to them in an experiential sense because they didn't see the promises brought to fruition. They didn't see the promises kept. And now it is at this point in time that God is about to redeem the people uh, and bring them out of Mitzrayim, bring them to the land. That's when the name Hashem, which is about keeping promises, will really be known experientially, will be known in a kind of real sense. In fact, in the declaration of Geula, in Parag Vav, Pasuk Vav, when God says, This is the point in time, the new stage in history, where a new knowledge of what God is all about, the real meaning of the name Havaya, the name Hashem, will come into history, the idea of keeping promises. And this is the way Rashi explains uh, the phrase, Previously, the name was known of, Previously, but now the name Hashem will be known experientially in reality in that the promises are about to be kept. And this is what uh, the Besorah, the Declaration of Attention to Redeem, is about. And this is Rashi. Ibn Ezra, cited by Rabban, um, offers an interesting variation on this idea, something quite similar with a very interesting common denominator um, to that of Rashi. And it's worthwhile also to note Ibn Ezra's comment before moving on. And let us see it uh, from within Ramban, um, who develops it into a kind of theological principle. Um, Ramban says as follows, uh, in Perik Vav Pasuk Bet, And the wise men of Ramban explained, Um, Ramban explained, that what God meant to say when he talked about Kel Shakai was that he appeared to the forefathers in this name, B'Shem Shamayim, that he is triumphant against the systems of heaven, against the natural order. And God does great miracles, where the normal path of nature, the natural order of things is not canceled. B'Rav Pada Tamimavet. Um, in a famine, he could redeem them from death. And during a war, from death. What Ramban here alludes to in Torah Ibn Ezra is the famous distinction found in many Parshanin between hidden miracles, 
by which God operates in nature. God perhaps struggles or triumphs over the natural order without openly disrupting the natural order, the notion of a nes nistar, a hidden miracle on the one hand, as opposed to, on the other hand, the notion of a nes nigla, an open miracle, uh, where the natural order is obviously sundered for us, the observers, the kind of miracle that, that is a violation of the natural order. And what Rabban alludes to here is that there are two different names of God, two different attributes of God, and these two different names and two different attributes are the means by which God does hidden miracles or open miracles, respectively. Uh, Kel Shakai is the name or the attribute of God by which God does hidden miracles, such as saving someone during a time of famine uh, or saving them um, in a difficult battle situation where the natural order is not obviously sundered or broken. But Ramban goes on, and here I'm jumping a few heads, uh, lines ahead in Ramban's comment, but by the name of Hashem, I was not made known to the forefathers to create new things, changes in nature. And therefore say to B'nai Israel, I am Hashem. What Ramban citing Ibn Ezra claims is that at this point in history, as of the point in time of the beginning of redemption, open miracles will be openly done. Open miracles, Nes Nigla, will be experienced by B'nai Yisrael during the course of the redemption. Previously, all the forefathers knew or experienced were hidden miracles. Those things done through the name of Kel Shakai. They only knew the name of Kel Shakai. But now... Again, even though the forefathers might have known of the Shem Hashem, they did not experience or really interact with what it's really all about. The koach of God, the power of God, the attribute of God by which open miracles are done. And here, in this declaration of redemption, when God says in Paragvav, Pasogvav, Lachain, Amal, Levnei, Yisraelani Hashem, Botseti, Etchem, Itach, Tzilot, Mitzrayim, Vital, Etchem, Yavotam, Vagal, Etchem, Bezron, Etchem, Bezshvatim, Gedolim, God is referring to the open miracles that are about to happen and where the real true meaning of the name of God will be experienced in history. And this is what Shmi Hashem Lohan was not known to them, but now it will be known. And this is the interpretation of Ibn Ezra and Ambad. So, I think here, the common denominator is crucial and how Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and Ramban are dealing with the problem of Shmi Hashem Lohan What Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and Ramban are effectively saying is that there are two types of knowledge. There is knowledge of, a kind of discursive knowledge, to know of the thing. And without a shadow of a doubt, the forefathers knew of the Shem Hashem, the Shem Havaya, the four-littered name. All one needs to do is to go take a look at Sefer Bereshit to realize this. But then there's another kind of knowledge, a kind of experiential knowledge, a knowledge of the essence of something, a knowledge of what something is really all about, the kind of direct experiential contact with the thing itself. And that knowledge of Shem Hashem was not had previously in history. That knowledge was not really available to the Avot because they didn't see the promises come true for Rashi or they did not see the open miracles for Ibn Ezra and Ramban. And now in history, at the point of time of the Declaration of Redemption, that kind of essential experiential knowledge of God himself, the thing himself, what the name is all really all about, whether it be the miracles or the keeping of promises, will be had by B'nai Yisrael, and that's the proper way to understand the Declaration of Redemption, according to Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and Ramban. Now, 
Um, although Rashi Ibn Ezra and Ramban kind of arrive at this just through a kind of abstract form of commenting, I think if we look at um, the structure, or maybe the, the language perhaps, of God's declaration of redemption, the, the speech, I think we can kind of root their comments nicely in the text or to some extent maybe expand uh, upon their comments in an interesting way. Because I think uh, certainly the Shem Hashem or the Shem Havaya uh, is very prevalent in God's speech. And we could, it's just worthwhile to kind of note uh, a few places that it, it appears. Um, let us go back for the moment to the beginning of the speech, to Perikvav Pasuk Bet, um, and where it says as follows: Ve'idaber Elokim El Moshe Ve'yomer Elav Ani Hashem. The Shem Havaya, declaration of Ani Hashem, is at the very beginning of the speech. Uh, likewise, by the way, um, if we jump down to the moment to Pasuk Chet, let us take a look at how the speech ends. Ve'veti etchem hela'aretz asher nesati etadi latet ota la'avraham litzchak liyakov, and I'll bring into the land that I lifted up my arm, lifted up my hand, I swore to give to Avraham Yitzchak Yaakov, v'natate otam lachem morasha, and I will give it to them, to you, as an inheritance, ani Hashem, I am Hashem, I am the Lord. The speech of God to Moshe, that, it, that which is to be communicated to B'nai Israel, both begins and ends with the phrase ani Hashem. There's a kind of frame that's created here for the Declaration of Redemption, which begins with Ani Hashem and ends with Ani Hashem. Now, moreover, in the short span of these five psukim, the Shem Hashem appears five times. The two we've noted, and in fact, another three. And it's even worthwhile to note specifically the various psukim that the Shem Havaya, Shem Hashem, appears in, and also, I think, the structure, the form in which uh, the name appears. So we already have, as our frames, in position 1 and position 5, we have Vav Bet Ani Hashem and Vav Chet Ani Hashem as well. Um, and I would like to refer to this as A and A, uh, for ease's sake, where the Ani Hashem represents an A. Now, moving along in the Pesukim, let us go back again to Pasuk Gimel. Va'ira'al Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov Bekel Shakai Ushmi Hashem Lo Nodati Lehem. Now, this is the second usage of Shem Havaya, Shem Hashem, in the speech. Um, and here it's used in conjunction with knowledge, Ushmi Hashem lo nodati lam, but in the negative conjunction with knowledge. The name of Hashem was not known. So let us call this here B. Now, let us go on. Um, we're at a certain point. We come to Perak Vav, Pasuk Vav, where God tells Moshe to speak to Bnei Israel, And there we're told in Vav Vav, L'chein amar le'bnei Yisrael, Ani Hashem, This is the third time the term Hashem is used in the speech. And here again, it's used in the A form of Ani Hashem. Now, let's, what is remaining is, of course, the fourth time. Um, and let us jump down now to the end of the speech of the Lishanot of Geula. In Perak Vav, Pasuk Zayin, we're told as follows. And I will take you uh, for me to a people. This is what Moshe is supposed to inform B'nai Yisrael that God says. I will be for you a God. And you will know that I am the Lord. I am Hashem. I am Shem Havaya. And here, this is the B form um, of the conjunction with knowledge. Not just the statement of Ani Hashem, but V'yedatem. There's knowledge conjoined with Shem Havai here. But what we should realize is that it's the opposite of the previous B form 
uh, of the negative usage of knowledge of Vishmi Hashem Lono Datilam in the second position on the list, the first time the B appeared. To put this together, what you have here is an A, B, A, B, A form. Five places, A, B, A, B, A. I think. And the idea being is that the frame and the middle are all Ani Hashem, positions 1, 3, and 5, the A, A, A. But 2 and 4, the B and the B, are both of a different form. The negative knowledge the first time around, Shmi Hashem lo And finally, in position 4, the positive knowledge, V'yadatim ki Ani Hashem Elokechem. And I think the idea that the text is setting up here is through the actions of God, through the redemption, through the open miracles, through the keeping of promises, we arrive at this knowledge of Ani Hashem. And the Lonodati previously, the first time the B appeared uh, in position two, is transformed at the end of the Lashonot of Geulah, V'yadatem ki Ani Hashem Elokechem. Because the entire purpose of the redemption, the Hotseti, Vitalti, V'gaalti, V'lakachti, V'aiti, is to get to the V'yadatem ki Ani Hashem Elokechem. And that is almost to some extent the essence of the speech about Gula, the intention of redemption, it is kind of its telos, its end, its tachlet, and to get to this kind of essential knowledge of God, the keeping of promises, and um, uh, the doing of miracles, and that's really what the speech is all about. So I think here, the literary structure and the usage of Ani Hashem in the parsha supports Rashi, Ibn Ezra Ramban, very nicely, and also on some level unmasks for us a very essential level of what the intention of redemption is all about to get to this knowledge of God of Ani Hashem V'yadatem ki Ani Hashem Elokeichem Hamotzi Etzchem etc. Now, all of this um, is fine and good in terms of the small isolated parsha um, the speech of God at the beginning of Perikvah the beginning of parsha Ve'ira that we have looked at so far. But in point of fact I think that it's worthwhile to open up the parameters of our discussion a little bit further, and to attempt to look at um, the larger context of God's speech, God's declaration of redemption at the beginning of Pashat Ve'era. Over the years, I have come to believe that the speech should not be viewed in isolation. And to kind of point this out, let's just kind of think about it this way. There is something very strange uh, about this speech. Uh, here in Shmot, Perik Vav, God appears to Moshe and says, Ani Hashem, I made promises, there was a Brit, I've heard their cries, I'm going to redeem them. And we have a certain sense of deja vu. Even without going back and looking at previous material here in Sefer Shemot, there's a certain sense of been there, done that. Hasn't God already told Moshe way back when, somewhere in Shemot, at the very least at the burning bush, that he hears their cries and it's difficult for them and there was a promise to the forefathers he's going to redeem them and suddenly here now we show up in Paragvav relatively deep into the Sefer relatively deep into the dialogue or relationship between God and Moshe and here God suddenly feels the need to declare here I am I am God I'm going to redeem them there was a Brit I hear their cries there's a certain sense of haven't this, hasn't this already happened a certain sense of redundancy now the easy and obvious answer to this problem, um, pointed out by some Parshanim, is to realize that God's speech here at the beginning of the era does not happen in a vacuum. It actually has a very particular context. Um, and we just need to go back a little bit previously to the end of Parshat Shemot, um, to Parakei, Pasuk Kafbet, uh, to begin to unpack this context. So let us take a look in Parakei, Pasuk Kafbet, where the Torah says as follows. 
Vayashav Moshe el Hashem, uh, and, God, and Moshe went back to Hashem, Vayomar, and he said, Adonai, lama hareota la'am hazeh, lama zeshlachdani. God, why have you done bad to this people? Why have you sent me? And from the time I came to Paro to speak in your name, it has been bad for this people. Moshe uses the word ra a second time. He verse them as amhazeh. And then again, in this doubling theme of the double Ra and the double Amhazeh, Moshe continues on in Parakei Pasek Kafkimon says, And you haven't saved them. So Moshe comes with an argument to God. He comes back to God and says, Listen, it's been Ra, Lo um, You haven't saved them. And this Am is just suffering. Um, and Lama Shilachtani, why did you send me? Now, interestingly enough, the language here that Moshe uses bears a close resemblance to some of the language that God himself used to Moshe back at the burning bush, back at the sneh. If we go very briefly for a moment back to Perak Gimel, Perak Gimel, Pasuk Zayin, says as follows, Vayomer Hashem, ani ami Mitzrayim. I have seen the suffering of my people in Mitzrayim. God refers to them as my my people, ami, my people. And then God says in Pasuk Ed, I'm going to be matzil otam. And what's he going to do? So God says, they're my people. I'm going to be matzilot. I'm going to save them. And I'm going to take them to Tova, a good place. And then God concludes a few pasukim later um, in Pasuk Yud. I'm going to send you Moshe to Paro. So God says, I want, I want to save my people, lahatzil. And I want it to be tov for them. I want it to be good for them. And they're my people, my am. And... Therefore, Moshe, Sholeach, I'm going to send you. And these four points meet their reversals in Moshe's throwing it back in the face of God here at the end of Parakeh. And let's again go look at the Psukim in Parakeh, Pasuk Kafbet. Moshe says, Vayashav Moshe, the Torah says, Vayashav Moshe Hashem. Moshe came back to Hashem. Yomar Adonai, Lama Har Why do you do bad, evil? The Ra here is the opposite of the Tov that God had promised. And Moshe says, uh, Amhazeh, Amhazeh, it's not Amcha, it's not your people you care about, because look, it's been bad from them, just some Am. And Moshe says, The third point of reversal, you haven't saved them, you said you'd save them, you haven't saved them. And Moshe concludes, of course, Why have you sent me? God had said, I'm going to send you. So Moshe throws everything back into God's face. What's even stronger about this is, um, commenting on the term Vayashev Moshe al-Hashem, in Pasuk Kafbet, Vayashev. Perhaps in Pshat it means Moshe returned, just went back, went to speak to God. Rashpam says, where did he go? Vayashev Moshe, he went back El HaMakom, to that place. He went to the Sneh, he left Mitzrayim, and he went back to the same exact place where he had been previously where God had commanded him all these things. And he spoke, and he said, why did you do this? He, so to speak, physically and metaphorically, turns the mission down again and throws it back at God. And so there's a crisis here. And it's because of this crisis of, of the depths of things having gotten worse, of Moshe refusing the mission again. And that's why God, of course, commands again in Perik Vav, in Va'ira, and says, Ani Hashem, and has to declare again that he's going to redeem the Jewish people, because everything that had come previously had been cancelled, or is being cancelled, when Moshe comes back to the burning bush and says, things haven't worked until now. Now, 
To take this further, we need to go back and take a look at what is the cause of the crisis. What causes Moshe um, to go back to God and say, I refuse the mission again? And the answer, of course, is found in Parakei. It is, in fact, the story of Parakei. And looking carefully at the nature of the crisis in Parakei should hopefully help us close the circle and expand our understanding of Parakvav a little bit. So let us go back to the beginning of Parakei, the crisis itself, which precipitates the dialogue between God and Moshe at the end of Parakei, which precipitates the redeclaration of God's intent or intention to redeem at the beginning of Parakvav. So Parakei, Pasuk Aleph says as follows. And afterwards, Moshe and Aaron came by Yemru of and they said to Paron, Ko ama Hashem elokei Yisrael. So says God, the Lord of Israel, Shalach et ami v'yachogu midbar. Send my people, and they will serve me, or celebrate to me in the desert. And of course, Paro's response is remembered by all of us. Parakei pasik bet. Vayomer Paro, mi Hashem? Who is Hashem? Asher Hashemah b'kolo, that I should listen to his voice. Now, to be medayek, to infer here, or to read carefully, Pyro doesn't say, who is God? Uh, I never heard of the name. He says, who is he that I should listen to his voice? Pyro doesn't question, so to speak, discursive or formal knowledge of the Shema Avaya. Pyro questions the power or the meaning of that name. Um, I don't know of God. Power does not know the power, the meaning, the essence, or has not experienced in any way what God is about, and says, therefore, Moshe, forget about it. I'm not going to send them. And as we go on, of course, in the parak, so we already see here that there's kind of similar issues, where parak is about knowledge of God, parak is about lack of knowledge of God. Let's build this a little bit more. Uh, as we go on in parak uh, Paro views the situation of the people requesting the holiday in the desert as problematic. And Paro has a solution uh, to the problem. His, uh, his solution is, uh, Paro's solution is, to make things worse. Parakei Pasiket says as follows, They're not going to have any straw, of course, and the amount uh, of bricks that they had to make two days ago or three days ago, Tasimu Aleihem, uh, or a day ago or two, or in the past, Tasimolehem, same amount, lo tigramimeno, do not detract from it. Ki near pimheim, they are lazy. Therefore they are crying out to God and crying out, let us go sacrifice to uh, the Lord. The religious impulses of the people, the desire for the religious holiday is simply because they aren't busy enough and they're lazy and they don't have enough work. And therefore Paras is in Pasuk text, So let the work become heavier upon the people and they'll do it. They won't pay attention to false hopes. So Paras' solution to the problem of laziness in spare time is to make the work harder. Now, of course, what happens, this is difficult and an unsustainable burden for the people. And we jump to Pasuk Yudalad, very keep sukim in the unfolding of the crisis of Parakei. We're told as follows in Pasuk Yudalad. Vayuku shotre b'nei Yisrael asher samu alem nogsei faro lemar madua lo chilitem chakem lulbon kitmol shosham gam tmol kalayom. So the shotre b'nei Yisrael, the officers of the B'nai Yisrael, the people who governed the work, practically, were hit, uh, they were beaten by the taskmasters of Paro because the people were not able to meet the quota of bricks uh, as they had in the past. And what happened? The, t- the leaders of Am Yisrael, the Shotrim, the officers, in Pasuk Tetva, were told as follows, Vayavu Shotrei B'nai Yisrael, Vayitzak'u El Paro. 
they cry out to Paro, Lemor, Lama ta'aseko la'avadecha. Why do you do so to your servants? Teven enitan la'avadecha. Straw is not given to your servants. Uleveinim omrim lanu avadecha. Um, and you tell us make bricks. Vine avadecha. The word avadecha, servants or slaves or, or workers, a third time in the case, in these two psukim, a third time in the mouths of the officers, the leaders of Bnei Israel, who self-identify as avadim of Paro and talk to Paro about themselves as his avadim. Vine avadecha mukim. We have been beaten. They beg for mercy from their master. V'chatat amecha. And your people have sinned. On some level, the avdut has deepened psychologically. Even though Paro is, of course, to blame uh, for the uh, greater burden of labor, the people, instead of rebelling against Paro, they view themselves ever more as the servants, the slaves of Paro. They refer themselves three times as avadim, and it's not just that they refer themselves as avadim; they cry out to Paro, aku. Um, and they talk about themselves as sinning to Paro. And of course, what's Paro's response? Oh, therefore, you, because you're lazy, that's why you say you want to sacrifice to God. On a certain plane, in the depths of this moment of crisis, it's not just that the physical work has become greater. It's not just that the economic and political slavery has become greater. But also, the psychological slavery has uh, become greater or deeper. And the people are completely and absolutely beholden to Paro. We might even go so far to say, it's as if the religious impulse uh, naturally implicit in mankind is being manifested to Paro. They define themselves as Paro's Avadim. They cry out to Paro and they talk about themselves as the servants of Paro who have been Choteh, who have sinned vis-a-vis Paro. And the, the slavery is absolute, both physically, psychologically, existentially, and even religiously. If on some level, the battle of Perakeh between God and Paro is about Who's the master? Who's in charge of the destiny of the Am? Who is the deity? And Paro says, I know of no God. I am the master of the one who's in charge. I am the deity. And God says, no, of course it is I. And in Parakei, Paro, through his solution of Avodah, manages to push things in his direction to reach this very, very deep moment of crisis where he is the master, he is in charge, he is effectively the deity of B'nai Israel by the end of Parakeh. In this moment of crisis, God, Moshe returns to God and says, okay, the mission is a failure. And now, in this light, let us take a look at what God says one more time to Moshe in Parakvav. Back to Parakvav, Pasuk Aleph. Or which we haven't yet even seen. And God says in Paragvah, Pascal, the end of the dialogue with Moshe, And then again, Ani Hashem. And the five-fold speech, including Ani Hashem, which is supposed to culminate in knowledge of God. I would like to suggest here that in this moment of complete despair and absolute power of Paro, it is only God and the idea of Ani Hashem that can save things. Um, the notion of there being any hope from a realistic perspective, from a rational perspective, from a human perspective, that's God. It is only God Himself who can bring the redemption. And that's part of the meaning, the focus on Ani Hashem in Paragvav. But in fact, there's something more and, and deeper to that. It's at this, this very deep moment where 
on some level, power has become the absolute master, and even the deity of B'nai Israel. It's at this moment that the redemption happens. Because what the redemption does is that it, it transfers over all of that to God. Ani Hashem, God yedatem, ki ani Hashem elokeichem asher otzit kamitachas vod mitzrayim. It is the knowledge of God and the knowing of God in the religious sense that is the meaning of the redemption. And everything, this absolute shiabud, enslavement to Paro as master, um, as lord, that exists for Bnei Yisrael and Perakei, that's all going to move over to God in Perakbov. That's part of the idea of what the redemption is all about. It's about this Vedatim Kine Hashem. So to sum up, I think what we can say here is that Shmi Hashem lo nodati lehem. Previously in history, there was no essential knowledge of God in the sense of open miracles or keeping promises. And here for the first time in history, this is going to be essentially known by B'nai Yisrael. Um, and that's part of what Ibn Ezra, Rashi, and Rabban have teach us about God's declaration of Gulayim in Parag But I think there's more to it than that. Looking at the larger context, there's this fundamental notion of, of knowing God as Master and Lord. And that's missing for B'nai Yisrael um, in Parakeh. That's actually something that they experience vis-a-vis Paro. And the whole declaration of redemption um, is about that being transferred over to God. That's what Perak Bav is about. Beforehand, Paro hadn't known who was the true Lord of the universe. The people hadn't known. And maybe even in a certain sense, the forefathers who had not been redeemed by God couldn't have known it. Only Am Yisrael, who had been so totally enslaved to Paro and are eventually brought to that state of Yedatam Kianeshem Elokechem, only they are the ones who can truly know and experience HaKadosh Baruch Hu as their Lord. And this might be the meaning of the Declaration of Redemption here in Paragraph.